It didn't occur to me until right before this service. Um, I, want, I want to say something, and you might be inclined to clap, but I don't want you to because I, I'm not looking for that. But I just want you to think about this because it, it's, it's like the most significant thing like in my life. But it, it didn't occur to me until I was sitting down here right before the service and I thought about today's date. And I realized that today is 35 years to the day that I got saved. It was thir- 35 years ago today that I became a Christian. And I didn't, I didn't grow up as a Christian. I did grow up going to church. And uh, I, was, I was taken to the Catholic church by my parents who loved me very much. And, but kind of growing up in all of that and, and kind of getting kind of steeped in maybe some of the religious traditions and everything else, it wasn't until I was uh, 18 years old that somebody opened up a Bible, just really just straight out of the Bible without kind of the filter of any church dogmas or decrees or catechisms or anything like that, and just kind of showed me from the Bible what God did, who he was, and what he did. And this book, the Bible, that's what it is, is it's a record that God used men to write down but he himself has preserved it down through the centuries. And, and the Bible was kind of like sort of progressively given out uh, in that like, you know, um, Moses wrote kind of the first books of the Bible. And then as prophets came along, they wrote, you know, um, and, and, and then eventually when you came into the days of Jesus after that, the apostles began to write. But God was directing it all along the way. And getting to the point where, you know, finally you had a completed canon of text that we today call the Bible that for the last 2,000 years in its form has been preserved by God, translated into pretty much every language the earth has ever known and is delivering the same message to people now for centuries and centuries and centuries that has always been God's desire to deliver the same message that reached me 35 years ago today and, and brought me to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to talk to you a little bit about thanksgiving and being thankful, but mostly what I want for all of us to see tonight, you know, I, I've, I've been at preaching for a long time now too, not 35 years, but, but uh, and I've come to just really value you know, just really kind of simply trying to get at what the Bible says. Anyone who goes to church here can tell you. I, I don't typically have stories to tell and, and things like this, but, but I want what my great desire in my life is, is that when people listen to me talk, they go away understanding what this says. And that's really it. I don't, I don't really care about anything else, you know, when, as far as like me being up here goes. I want you to know what this says. You can read it for yourself. And that's something that everyone should do. But I want you to know because this book, this book bears down on the life of every person who's ever lived, including you. Did you know that the subject of thanksgiving, the subject of being thankful, is something that is threaded throughout Scripture. And it's something that's very important. 
As you begin in the beginning of the Bible, you're told, we are told how God created everything. There was God and there was nothing else pretty much. And we're told that God created the heavens and the earth. And we're told that God created man. And that God gave his commands to men. Starting in the very beginning of the book, the first command that he gave to man was there was a particular tree in the one garden that he created and told man to work. And he said that in, in that garden, he said there's this one tree, don't eat of this particular fruit. And the day you eat of it, you'll surely die. And of course, what did man do? Adam and Eve, they ate of it. And that was the first sin. And even though they didn't physically die that day, you can read all of this for yourself and you should in the Bible, even though they didn't actually physically die that day, spiritually they did. And God threw them out of the garden, left, and banished man from his presence. That has been the condition of all of humanity since that time. Separated from God. And when you start to read ahead, and I'm not going to go through all the history of the Bible in one setting, obviously, but as you go through all of this, what you realize is that from the very beginning of time, all the way down through every generation of people who have ever lived, one of the biggest problems that man has ever had in his heart that has resulted in and has propagated more and more and more sin, like eating of that tree in the middle of the garden, more and more and more, is the fact that man, listen, fails to remember God and be thankful. Look, in America, this Thanksgiving that we call it, it's a holiday. And once a year, there's all kinds of traditions steeped in it. You're observing one of them tonight. We're eating turkey and eating, eating a lot of food. But, but without going to all the history of the American holiday that's known as Thanksgiving, even though it does have at its root, at its core, a desire for the nation to be thankful to God, the concept of Thanksgiving and the concept of being thankful is one of the things that is at the heart of why men are separated from God, why this book was written, and why we need His grace and why we need a Savior. All right? And the Bible, in one of the New Testament books, a book called the Book of Romans, actually says this. I want, you, I want to read you a little bit of this in the beginning. It says that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness because what may be known of God is manifest in them for God has shown it to them. Now, the writer, the human writer of this is the Apostle Paul. But what he does now in this, it's God who wrote the words, but he used the Apostle Paul to write it down. And what he does at this point in the writing is he goes back to what I just did. He goes back to the beginning of creation. All right? And he says this, For since the creation of the world, right? Just like it says in Genesis, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. For since the creation of the world, His, that's God's, invisible attributes are clearly seen. What are invisible attributes? Well, what are the attributes of something? If you looked at me, you would say my attributes are gray hair, um, large man, larger than he should probably be, uh, you know, can play the piano and sing a little bit, 
right? Those are like some of my visible. But what are my invisible attributes? Those are the qualities of my heart. Those are the qualities of my character. The Bible says that from the beginning of the world, from the creation of the world, just in the creation, God's invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. That is to say, any man should be able to simply look around, look up in the sky, look out at the ocean, look at a tree, look at a lawn with grass growing on it, look at the human body, and look how fingernails grow, and hair grows, and how you get a cut, and days go by, and it heals up, and miraculously, it seems, just, just kind of goes away, and you can hardly even tell it was there anymore, right? These are all demonstrations of God's creative power. And when anybody looks and sees these things, the conclusion that a reasonable person ought to draw is that God is there. God made all of this. And Paul writes down here, since the creation of the world, these invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, that includes us, even his eternal power and Godhead. The word Godhead there, what it refers to is his status as God. The word Godhead is often used to describe what we would call the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But here the word is used to describe something just slightly different than that. It's talking about his Godship. It's talking about you should be able to look and look at the creation and recognize God. Made without maybe, maybe even you don't even know everything about who he is yet, but you can look and you can see God made all of this. And his, he is God. His status as God is secure. He is powerful. He is in control of everything. He has bearing down on my life. And I have accountability to him. I have every good thing that I have from him. Everything that I enjoy is something that he in his sovereignty has chosen to bless me with. Every human ought to be able to just look and think and realize this couldn't have just all happened by itself. You know? Our position in the cosmos, you look at the sky, you look at the sun, and we shouldn't look directly at the sun. But you consider about how big the sun is in the sky. And then you see a full moon one night. And you, that you can look at. And you can consider how big a moon is. And you realize the moon and the sun, they look the same size. You know that the moon and the sun are not the same size, right? The sun is 400 times the size of the moon. But it's 400 times the distance from earth than the moon. Which makes them look the same size in the sky. A thinking person would look at that and say, that could not have happened by coincidence, right? Like if I lined up eight coins on the floor here in a perfectly straight line and then said to you, before you came in, I stood up here and I threw those coins from here and they landed in that perfectly straight line, what would you think? You would understand just from looking at it that somebody did that on purpose, 
That's the order of the universe and the order of creation. His invisible attributes are clearly seen and understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because, you ready? Although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God. So in other words, they knew him, they knew of him, they could know that he exists just from seeing the glory of his creation, but they did not glorify him as God. They ignored him. They turned the other way. And they ran off on their own. It says they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful. 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 You know, we're sitting, sitting here, down, we're downstairs, we're eating food, we're enjoying each other's company. And we're at a holiday that's called Thanksgiving. Do you know that one of the roots of all of the problems in the world, all of the problems that the world has ever known, is that people are not thankful to God. Well, it says that the result of this not being thankful, it says that man became futile in his thoughts. See, that's what happens. When man chooses to ignore God and push him out and he's not thankful to God, well, listen, he has to fill his head with something else. So he fills his head with all sorts of things. He fills his head with humanistic things. He fills his head with uh, uh, multi pseudo-spiritual religious concepts. He fills, fills himself with philosophy. He fills himself with psychologies that are self-help, which promote his own self-goodness and self-worthiness without recognizing the problem that there is between him and God because of sin. That's the truth. And the passage goes on to talk about how this progressed into idolatry. It says, they, mankind professed himself to be wise, but he became fool a fool, and he changed the image of the God who created us and made us into statues. And in every religion of the world today, you see people worshiping a statue of this, you know, kissing a statue of that, kneeling down and praying to a statue of that. Listen, the God who made us doesn't dwell in statues. He doesn't dwell in buildings. He doesn't dwell in temples. He simply is. He just exists. He says his name is I am And he made everything and he made us. Why are we separated from God? Why are we not thankful to God? What is at the heart of all of this? And what are the ramifications of it? I'm going to tell you two things with the rest of my time here today. I'm going to tell you bad news and I'm going to tell you good news, okay? Has anyone ever come to you and said, I got good news and I got bad news? Anyone ever said that? I got good news and I got bad news. Which do you want first? Okay. They're too young to understand what rhetoric is. In actuality, I'm going to give you the bad news first. And then I'm going to give you the good news. Yay, bad news. Yay. Okay. Let's get it out of the way. No, really. Listen. 
It's okay to laugh and have some fun, but now this is really serious. Listen to this. God, the one we've been talking about here, who made us in the beginning and gave us everything good that we have, and now we find ourselves separated of him because Mankind has completely forgotten him. That's why all the trouble in the world that you have, the wars, the sicknesses, everything, all of it is because we've forgotten him and we've turned away from him. God reached out to man. He reached out to man years and years and years ago through a guy named Moses. You may have heard of him. You may have seen the movie The Ten Commandments. You may have heard of the Prince of Egypt or, or something like that, right? But God reached out to man. And he reached out and he gave man commandments. And he gave man these commandments to reveal what a very simple code of what he expected to be right. So if you want to be right, if you want to be righteous before God, here is what is expected of every human being, listen, to do for their entire lives. Ten simple commandments. You're familiar with this. You will have no other gods before me. God said this. You will not make any graven images or statues or icons or anything like that to bow down and worship before them because God doesn't live in those things. You will not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. That means a few different things. That means to blaspheme His name, to use His name irreverently, to use His name hypocritically. You won't take his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. God created the heavens and the earth in six days and rested on the seventh. And, so, and told men to work and then take their rest as well. Honor your father and your mother. And your days will be long on the earth. It actually even attached a promise to it. But we are to honor our parents for our whole lives. Listen to them. Respect them. Obey them. For our whole lives. You shall not murder, right? And in the New Testament, that command, even the spirit of it is said to be, if you hate your brother in your heart, you're guilty of murder. You shall not commit adultery, which is to break the bonds of marriage in immorality and sexual behavior. But Jesus actually said, even if you just look at another person and lust after them in your heart, you've committed adultery in your heart. You shall not steal. You shall not lie. And you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, your neighbor's donkey, your neighbor's house, your neighbor's car, your neighbor's television, your neighbor's... Well, the Bible doesn't mention those, but, but anything that belongs to your neighbor. To covet something means to be jealous of it and even to the point of despising the other person for having it. Don't covet, don't lie, don't steal. And if you want to be right before God, all you have to do is this. All of those from the day you're born to the day you die. Actually, if you didn't commit any of those, you'd never die because sin is the reason why we die. But listen, let me speak for myself with apologies to my own church members who have heard me say this many times, maybe mostly for the sake of our guests here. But if I could take a mirror and scrawl that list of Ten Commandments on that mirror so I can read it 
off of that mirror while I'm looking at a picture of myself. And I read through those commandments. Do you know what I would see looking back at me from the mirror? I would listen, listen, listen. I would see a man who has broken every one of those commandments in spirit or in actuality. You'll be happy to know that there is not a murderer standing in front of you today. But I'm guilty of hate. So in the heart, I can't even, I can't even assert that I'm innocent of that. I've broken every commandment in spirit or in actuality before God. And I'm accountable to Him. And I'm here to say to you today that every one of you has to look in that mirror for yourself. Have you ever lied? Have you ever stolen? Have you ever disobeyed or dishonored your parents? Have you ever been jealous of other people's things or other people's situations or just despised other people because they have it better than you? Or, right? Have you ever used the Lord's name in vain? The Bible says, here's the bad news, the Bible says if you've broken His laws, that's the definition of what sin is. And we are separated from God and we are destined for His judgment and we are destined for His punishment. And there's no amount, listen carefully, in the Bible, and I want you to take it up and read this for yourself, but in the Bible, there is no record of any religious act, no ceremony, no sacrament, no amount of good works or good deeds, no charity, nothing that you can perform yourself to make up the fact that you have sinned and broken God's commandments. You stand before God alone in your life of breaking His laws, guilty of sin and destined to be judged by a holy God. That's bad news. That's the truth. And I tell you that truth because I love you. Now, listen. Who's ready for some good news? Who's ready for some good news? You ready for some good news? Here you go. God did something about your problem and about my problem just because He loves you. He dispatched His Son, His only Son, from heaven. We call Him Jesus. We call Him Jesus Christ because the name Christ isn't really a name, it's a title. It means Messiah. It means Chosen One, the Anointed One. All the way from the beginning of time, in the same Garden of Eden where man disobeyed God for the first time, in that Garden of Eden, if you read the book of Genesis for yourself, you'll see that God also made His first promise to save people from their sins. And that thread of knowledge goes throughout the Bible, telling us and telling us and telling us and telling us that salvation would come, redemption would come, mercy would come, forgiveness would come. Yes, the whole world is in sin. But God loves us and God would make a way to have your sins forgiven. Good news, right? Now listen to this. He loves you so much that He sent Jesus His Son. And when Jesus was here on the earth, He lived a perfect, sinless, holy life. The only one who ever did. 
And at the end of Jesus' life, this is all right from the Bible. You can read it all for yourself, and I want you to. At the end of his life, Jesus gave himself up. He was betrayed by his friends. He was handed over by the religious leaders of his own people to the the Roman governors and the Roman soldiers, and they executed him like a common criminal. They nailed him to a cross, maybe something that looked like that, nowhere neat and tidy and, and, and as ornate as that. But they would, they would put an execution victim on that, and he would be nailed to it, and he would die, right? But when Jesus was crucified, do you know what was actually happening? That was God permitting that to happen because he loves you and he loves me. God allowed Jesus to come into this world, die the death of a person in this world, in your place. When Jesus died on the cross, he was receiving the punishment for your sin and for my sin. He shed his blood and he died, right? And you say, that doesn't sound like good news, but listen, when he died, that was the death that we're supposed to die. Somebody stepped in in your place. Someone who never broke the law stepped into your place as a person who did break the law and said, you know what? We're not going to punish this lawbreaker. I'm going to be punished for them instead so that they can be set free and have their sins forgiven. That's what God did for you because he loves you. Jesus died for your sins and to confirm it all, to show his power over sins, to show that he is able to save you and redeem you and keep you for all eternity. On the third day after he died, the Bible says it very clearly in several different places, Jesus rose from the dead. We sang about it before. He rose up out of the grave. He rose from the dead. And he is alive right now. Right now. Jesus is in heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father. And God's gift is this. You can have all of your sins forgiven if you will humble yourself. Humble yourself before him. Repent. Acknowledge that you have sinned. Humbly acknowledge before God that you have broken His laws. Turn to Him in repentance. Turn to Him in faith. Turn to God. Believe that Jesus, the Son of God, died for your sins and rose from the dead. Put your trust in Jesus. Trust in Jesus with all of your heart. It's not a religious act. It's not a religious ceremony. It's not a sacrament. It's faith. By God's grace, we are saved through faith. Not of works, not of anything else. If you will put your trust in Jesus, here's the good news. God will wash all of your sins away like they never existed, like they never happened. You will be justified before God. You will live out your days as if your sins never happened. And when this life is over, which it will end for all of us, you will go to heaven to be with the Lord forever. That's the good news. This world that God created is a temporary place. It is all over the Bible. 
that this world is not a permanent place. It is temporary. And one day Jesus, who died for our sins and rose from the dead and went back to heaven, one day he's going to return. And he will judge severely the world, which still, even after this great gift that God offers to the world, continues to reject it. But his grace and his love and his mercy and his salvation will be abundantly, completely, without any strings attached, given to those who have faith in Jesus, his son. That's the good news. Listen, we're here on a holiday called Thanksgiving. All of the trouble in the world started because men, instead of being thankful, chose to go their own way. That's been going on for thousands and thousands of years. But there is a remedy, and there is only one, and that is to come to God, return to God, turn back to God, turn to Jesus, Trust in Him. Receive Him. Cry out to Him. The Bible says that as many as received Him, Jesus, to them, God gave the power to become the children of God to those who believed in His name. So the choice is simple. Come to Jesus or stay in this worldwide rebellion against God that has been going on since He made it. Come to Jesus. Turn to Jesus. We're going to sing a hymn in a moment, and then we're going to go downstairs and have some coffee and some dessert. But you know what? i got to believe there's somebody, maybe multiple people in this room, who know, listening to this, that they need Jesus. They need their sins forgiven. You... 35 years ago today, I heard this message and I responded to it by putting my faith in Jesus. You know what I did? Is I heard this message in a church at a special Thanksgiving kind of service and I went home and I knelt down next to my bed and I began to pray. And I asked God to save me from my sins because I knew what I was hearing was true. I want you to do the same thing. I want you, if you have any questions, to come and talk to me. But really what you need to do most is you need to turn to the Lord in faith. Cry out to Him. Pray to Him. The Bible says whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What are you waiting for? Turn to the Lord and receive His wonderful salvation today. I want to wish you a happy Thanksgiving. But what I care about more than anything else is that everybody understands this, everybody knows this, and everybody believes it. I can't make you believe it. What I can do is I can let you know what it says. And I'm trying to do that. But you've got to respond to God. If someone came to you and held out a gift, man, look at this, I have a gift for you. And they held it out for you. And you looked at it and said, wow, that is a wonderful gift and then turned and walked away, it would do you no good. But if I held this out to you, and you said, thank you, thank you, thank you so much, then the gift could be appropriated in your life and actually do some good. Respond to God. 
Turn to Jesus. Take His gift of eternal salvation by putting your faith in Him today. Cry out to Him. Pray to Him in the silence of your own heart. Ask Jesus to save you from your sins. If you have any other questions about it when we're done here, come and talk to me and we'll talk some more. I'll pray with you. I'll counsel you. I'll talk with you. I'll stay here all night and talk to you. I want to make sure you know what the truth of the matter is. That God's salvation is for those who put their faith in His Son. I'm going to ask Jed and Amy to come on up here. We're all going to stand up together and we're going to take one of those teal-colored hymnals in the pews there and open it up to number four and Jed and Amy are going to lead us in a hymn.